Hi, everyone, and welcome to AB Conversations, where we will help you CFP your way out of it, a podcast where you get into the minds of a couple certified financial planners on how we think and feel about everyday financial planning questions and what should really matter most to you. A healthier financial life starts now. Okay, back again, another podcast. So today we're gonna play MythBusters, and uh, it's a it's a broad topic, or at least there's a couple broad pieces we'll touch on. But the the lead in the conversation that kind of started it all was, you know, our experiences with this area and our families. It's the Pennsylvania touch myths, you know. <laughs> yeah. So you know, for for those that maybe don't uh, don't understand the the Pennsylvania Dutch demeanor. Um, and again, we're, we're speaking very specifically to finances here. It's probably just more of a, we call it a conservative approach to the way they go about their finances. Um, and then also maybe why, you know, they don't rub elbows with us so much in the financial planning world is there's probably, uh, you know, to their core, a little bit more of wanting to be private about their finances mm-hmm. and their mm-hmm. affairs. So, you know, that's broadly, you know, taking it outside of Quitstown, Pennsylvania. Right, that's kind of the profile, I guess, that, that we would be talking about. So, myth busts, uh, do you want to start? You want me to kind of go through what I think kind of defines them? Yeah, so just to kind of wrap that little beginning up there is that we're, we're viewing it through that lens of a, a specific subset of, of people in our area, but I think there are bits and pieces of these three myths that certainly are more common for most people when they have a, a more fiscally conservative tilt. And uh, you know, the, these, these three things we'll talk about are, are definitely pervasive um, and not just specific to one, one person or one group. Yeah, so when we say like very fiscally conservative, um, I guess I would define that, and we'll certainly go through maybe some investment stuff, but we're talking yeah. about like, literally let's, let's put money in a tin can and let's bury <laughs> it in the ground or, you know, let's wrap it up and hide it in the freezer, right? It's that yep, mindset. Under the mattress. The gov- yeah, if the government doesn't know about it, then I don't have to pay taxes, right? Like, like that's part of it. Um, mm-hmm. And I know I also kind of mentioned the private people. If, if we don't talk about money in our, our house, you know, not that this isn't the typical person that kind of seeks to work with the planner. So let's address that myth. And then I think the third one, probably most common, um, outside of just this category of right, a, a very fiscally conservative person is the estate planning is probably very minimal that they have done when really it probably should be more in depth. You know, we'll define it as the I love you will, right? Everything is going to be fine. Um, and again, I think maybe that comes down to they treat it that way because really it's nobody else's business. But I think there's some flaws in that. So let's maybe just tackle yeah. them one by one. Um, Sure. Let's start with that fiscally conservative nature, right? Investing's too dangerous. It's too risky. So let's bust that myth. Um, how do we help somebody that maybe has that, that deep, fearful feeling at their core? Yeah, it's the aversion to stock market risk or, you know, I, I don't want to own stocks. I'm going to keep all my money in the bank. I'm going to only invest in CDs and, and fixed instruments. Yeah. I, I don't want to take risk. Um, and we certainly say that, to some degree, risk is quantifiable when it comes to the stock market. Um, we certainly have tools that, that we can help illustrate what we mean by that using backdated information and 
being able to help quantify at least guardrails of, of ex expectations. Um, yeah, and I, I think very, very quickly, what popped into my head when you said that, like when we think of stock market risk and people that are very fearful of it, I think it's really that extreme of, oh my gosh, I could lose all my money, right? Where we, we think like it's, a, it's not a, a flip of a coin, right? Heads right. you win, tails you lose, or you know, if I put it all on black and it doesn't come up black, I'm done, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Equity risk is quantifiable in looking at the history of price movement. And again, even we've, I know we've used this multiple times. 2020 is actually becoming a great example of how risk is somewhat quantifiable and the ups can become downs and the downs can become ups. Um, when we say quantifiable, I think you have to start with just that understanding as short-term losses may be short-term losses, but it's not going from <clears throat> X value to zero dollars. Yes, that's a, an excellent point. And I think so the, the way that we kind of address that risk component is with our, our three bucket theory, right? It's the, the short-term bucket that is your, your cash and, and very flexible and, and liquid instruments. That's your cash at the bank. Um, the middle bucket being your, your more fixed income. It's your bonds. It's your dividend paying stocks. It's, it's things that are generating some sort of, of income, um, but aren't necessarily the volatile, the, the stock market, which we would say is that third bucket yeah. where... It's, it's all based on timeframes. Um, that, that third bucket ideally being money that you're not gonna touch for seven plus years, that if there is volatility in the stock market, you're not having to sell that to meet your current needs. That's what the first two buckets are for. So you can allow yourself to own some of these things that do have volatility because you're not gonna touch them uh, you know, in that short period of time. Yeah, and I think that's why the, the most, I don't wanna say successful, but I think the people that have the easiest time with investments are the people that pay the least amount of attention, right? If, if you're not reading the news, watching the news, kind of getting tied up in the emotions of it, which I think is part of why people feel like it's too risky. Um, if you can literally turn that off in bucket, yeah, I think then, then it's just monitoring things. Cause you know, we'll probably talk about the next myth, uh, you know, cash in, in a minute here, but before we get to that, bonds have a degree of risk too, right? There is mm -hmm. such thing as interest rate risk. There is safely losing money if inflation's really high and, and your interest is not. So I think it's, it's a matter of being able to compartmentalize those risks and recognize that everything has a trade-off. And if you can keep that equity risk that may be scary, like under control based on your own financial plan and how much exposure you really do have, then yeah, you you said it well, you give yourself permission over long periods of time to kind of participate in what should be growth without mm -hmm. having to panic over the short term. Yep. So what about Agreed. that, that second myth? Um, I yeah, just, so I'll, I'll, I'll throw it to you. It's the, it's the cash is king. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be as conservative as possible. I'm just going to hold cash. Yeah. So was, I think, maybe us more so than, than other financial advisors, right? We, we often say the, the sexy advice is not to hold a lot of cash, right? We know we're not earning anything on cash these days, but we would agree a good solid financial plan, a three bucket theory plan is holding a degree of cash so that you do, again, give yourself permission to stick out market downturns, right? You don't have to go liquidate anything to meet your needs, wants, or wishes in a mm -hmm. short period of time. But if cash is king, then inflation is like the attack of another kingdom, right? It's, it's, 
you know you're going to be safely losing money if your healthcare expenses are going up by five, six percent a year, and you've got money in a tin can in the ground somewhere. So I guess that's where the myth here that cash is king is, is always right. There's going to be a right amount of cash for anyone based on their financial plan, right? And we have to work that out with them. And if you're mm -hmm. holding more than that, then you're probably missing long-term opportunity or again, longevity becomes a problem because you can't keep up with inflation. Yeah, that's it. It's, it's the, the, the safely losing money, which we kind of hinted at earlier too with, with cash and, and even for some bond instruments, right? If they're not, not earning enough or they're, they're not paying enough interest to even keep up with the inflation rate moving forward, then you know, you're, you're just losing your purchasing power of, of your, your dollars. Yeah, I think we have to recognize that retirement planning is getting more difficult for, for advisors like you and me who actually now need to call longevity a risk, right? Mm -hmm. A long and healthy life should be viewed as like, absolutely the goal, this is a wonderful thing. <laughs> but if, if we truly are taking too conservative an approach, retiring at 62, 65, you're living 20, 25, 30 years in retirement. 30. Yeah. yeah, inflation is going to be a real big problem if, again, those healthcare costs are going up, your Social Security paychecks aren't keeping up, maybe your mm -hmm. pension doesn't have a cost of living, and now you're uber conservative with your investments and savings, you're, you're inviting more problem than we think anyone's going to want to if you kind of look into that crystal ball 15, 20 years from now and expenses are way higher and you missed out on some growth. Yeah, which is why that that third bucket, going back to earlier too, is is that the the stock risk that you're taking is essentially your inflation hedge over long periods of time. We know that the market, yeah. as long as you stay invested over long periods of time, they tend to go higher and typically higher than inflation. So that that really is the way that we kind of view that last bucket too. That's that's what it is hopefully growing that pot of money to help supplement those later years when inflation is is doing the damage on the on the cash instruments. Yeah, well said. So, so the last, the last myth, yeah, is the the very simple, the I love you will, I leave everything to my spouse, and then when we both both pass, it goes to our kids equally. Does that yeah. work for everybody? Um, gosh, I hope so, because um, <laughs> we know there's not a lot of people. I don't know what the stats are these days, but a, a very small percentage of people actually have a will. And then I'm assuming yeah. the vast majority of wills are actually written that way. Um, mm -hmm. And I think while we're not estate planning attorneys, right, let's be good financial planners here and start to punch some holes in this. Um, I think just assuming that, you know, your kids are going to get along um, is probably not safe these days. I think just assuming that all relationships will work out is probably not a safe assumption with divorce rates where they are. Um, mm -hmm. I think we are dealing with a millennial generation that has different views on not only spending habits, uh, but maybe how they value money and leaving money just to grandkids is maybe some sort of a risk. So I think we could get into some specifics, but I'm just, I'm rattling off right off the bat. Like these are some scenarios where if you have questions on, Hey, would that actually work out? You need more than just the, I love you will. So I don't know, can you think of a, another example or, or something that we would probably talk somebody through to kind of bust that myth? Uh, yeah, I'm just trying to think that those certain scenarios, right? When it, and whenever there's like property involved or, or hard assets, 
um, in this area. You know, you think about farmland that we yeah. certainly experienced that with, with some individuals that it's not things that are easily distributed uh, amongst several, you know, family members. It just yeah. it creates that amb ambiguity. So now child A wants to keep the family farm, but child B, C, and D do not. Like now, now yeah. we've created an issue or, okay, hey, well, they'll work it out. Well, they may be able to work the finances of that out, but now was that really the tax efficient way to do it? Probably not, right? So right. I think this is where actually talking things through on the front end, if not with your family, which we hope would be able to happen, but mm -hmm. at least with your financial planner and your estate attorney, that you can maybe get around some of those things that when it's talked about on the front end, now you have the options on how to deal with it, where clearly after you pass away, all those options are gone. Yeah, and even so now, even with the passage of the SECURE Act at the end of last year, uh, beginning of this year, I guess it was last year, um, you know, just how, how retirement accounts are now treated for beneficiaries. Um, you know, you lose that stretch provision for anyone who's essentially not a spouse. So if it's going yep. to your kids, um, you know, that, that account is going to have to be distributed in a 10-year period. So even just passing retirement accounts versus non-retirement investment dollars, it, it changes what the, the beneficiary will receive in after-tax dollars. So yeah, fair, and that, we, we like to say it, fair is not always equal and equal is not always fair. Yeah, and that's, that's one of those things that you probably don't recognize when you write that I love you will, right? Because that, that's the situation where everybody's gonna be 50-50 or you know, a third, a third, a third on every single account. But mm -hmm. let's say that, you know, again, child one has different earnings, maybe way higher earnings than child two, you know, based on jobs, based on phase of life, based on where mm -hmm. they are with their career, whatever it would be. Yeah, yep. to your point, this isn't going to be the same net result for everybody. So while it may seem like the easy thing to do, and then the counter argument would be, well, if you get way too detailed, you know, things are gonna change. Yeah, yep. but that's why you work with a financial planner that every year you reassess this. Let's look at the new values of things. As you have to take money out of a retirement account, those beneficiaries may change. So I think that's why talking things through ahead of time is not, not only like a good idea, it's advisable. Like you should do it and review it on a regular basis, right? And if it's an uncomfortable thing to be talking about, like we said at the onset here, right? My, mm -hmm. my finances are private. Um, yeah. Then let the pros like us lead that conversation, right? So that you don't have to. I, I think that's, that's how you get around just taking the easy way out. A, a very well-intentioned I love you will, right? there's more love in talking things through and really trying to figure out the most efficient way to pass money. Because if there's another thing I know about the Pennsylvania Dutch and really anyone that's fiscally conservative, right? Uh -huh. What's the thing you hate the most in the world? <laughs> Giving money to the IRS in the form of taxes. That's it. So maybe you don't know all the ways that uncle Sam can kind of dip his hand into your estate. Um, mm -hmm. Let's talk through that so that you can kind of be thoughtful in the way that you're listing things. Yep, that's a, that's a great point, Ben. So that's three, three of the most common myths. You know, maybe quick recap and fill the holes where I kind of miss out. Um, when it comes to investing, right, the, the myth may be, I don't want to take any risk, you know, because I could lose everything all at once. Mm -hmm. We talk about risk being quantifiable and the way to address that is the three bucket theory by kind of moving things based on time horizon. 
Uh, second myth, we were talking cash is king. We agree. We think there's an appropriate level of cash for everyone. And maybe it's, it's more than some other planners would say, depending on how they approach things. But mm-hmm. inflation is a huge problem for longevity. And if you're too conservative, especially when it comes yep. to healthcare costs and kind of understanding pensions and social security. Yeah. Last thing was that I love you, Will. It's a great intention, but more often than not, we can punch holes in that. And whether it's taxes or equitable distribution of things, right? Fair is not always equal, equal is not always fair. Talking about on the front end, you're probably going to give yourself more options to address those unintended consequences of not having a deeper plan. Yep. Anything more? Great job. Hey, you covered it. Busted myths today. Hope it was helpful. Me too. All right, bud. Until next time. All right. Thank you. We'll see you. Hey, everyone. Adam and I really appreciate you tuning in. Please note that the opinions we voiced in the show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be most appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, your accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to making any decisions or investing. Thanks for listening.